Welcome to Roadhouse Minute, the podcast where we review the best bad movie of all time, Roadhouse, one minute at a time, and where we always try to be nice until it's time not to be nice. I'm Roger, and here we are in our last episode for this week. Uh, Marcy's not here um, this week, uh, but once again, uh, we are privileged uh, to be joined by a Movies by Minute podcasting veteran, uh, Curtis Blaze of the Better Off Dead Minute and the Time Bandits Minute podcast. How are you doing, Curtis? I'm doing great. You do that better than me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, anything worth doing is worth doing right. This is minute 48 uh, of Roadhouse. This minute starts with Dalton chuckling over how much a man can get used to, and it ends with Denise trying again to put the moves on Dalton. So, But oh, so much happens between there. Oh, I know. So I, I feel like... Much like a Western, I feel like you and I have been setting the stage for what I think is going to be some amount of throwdown when we finally get back to the double deuce, because I'm not going to try to sugarcoat my feelings. I think Carrie Ann is annoying, and all the things that she's in in this movie are annoying. And the way that I know that I'm right is because... Most of cat. So you want to know how they get down from three and a half hours to two, two hours. They cut out <laughs> most, they cut out most of Kathleen Wilhoit's scenes that were filmed, which is what I hear is what happened. Okay. First of all, just so I can be on the same page. What is her name? Catherine. Her name, isn't it Kathleen Wilhoit? Kathleen Wilhoit, because I have such a crush on this woman. Oh, oh my God! Tell you what, can we can can I table that until we finish up here in the strip club? Absolutely. Okay, yes. because the the other great thing that we have to talk about, I feel like I wish this were a visual podcast because I, I feel oh. like 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 on Monday Night Football, I feel like I wish I had a telestrator because we're gonna get and this movie has many excellent fight scenes. I don't think we should sleep on the fight scene in this in this particular minute. Um, okay. Because we have a delightful little encounter, let's just say, between two men in the background over Wade's left shoulder. I know, right? So, <laughs> it's a great little bite. You know, so one of the things... And his that, attitude and the way he reacts to it is so good, too. Yeah, so I've, I've written it down. Um, I can I can kind of give you a play-by-play. So tell you what, maybe we'll, we'll pretend it's Monday Night Football, and I'll be the play-by-play announcer, and you can give me color. Um, Go for it. In the previous minute, one of the one of the things that Marcy and I like to do sometimes is to play a game called Say What, because there are definitely some parts of the movie where it's pretty hard to interpret what's being said. In the previous minute, if we if we had been playing that game in the previous minute, I would have asked you what these guys said to each other that seems to essentially set the stage for this really bad, really cheesy fight. So in the previous minute, and I guess you'd have to decide. So which of these two guys would you say is the redneck? It's got to be it's got to be the guy in the white shirt, right? Yeah, the guy in the white shirt. Yeah. Okay, so in the previous minute, it's very hard to hear because it's sort of said in the background. The guy in the other shirt, who I'm going to call army guy because he clearly seems to be one of the army, army guys. Guy, yeah. So he says in the previous minute, he says, "Stop bumping me, redneck." Wow, I didn't catch that. Uh, All right. This is the say what game you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what happened in the previous minute. So here is what I see. And if I if I miss anything, please let me know. In order, here's what happens. So army guy, army guy sticks out his butt 
to make his pool shot and bumps white shirt guy. Um, or do I have it backwards? Does white shirt guy stick out his butt and bump army guy? Army guy definitely has the butt out. Yeah, that's what I think too. Okay, so then army guy, army guy takes his cue stick and slams it down on the table. Redneck pokes army guy in the in the forward portion of his left hip with his pool stick though. Oh, really? I missed that. Is that what happened? Oh, so you're saying, so you're saying that white shirt guy, he's in, in the, in the, in the course of his backswing, he gives, he gives army guy a little poke with his cue. He does. Oh, I missed that. Thank you for catching up on that. That's why, that's why you're the best fight color commentator in the business. Okay. They so are, they are definitely bumping butts, but this guy also nails him in the hip with the, with the pool cue. Okay, so then we get our first act of sort of outright initiated violence. A white shirt guy gives army guy a good two two armed shove into the table. And what a shove it is! Oh my god, he just goes back. I'd have to say, and so I, I do not want to be accused of in disparaging our armed forces in any way. Certainly not talking to someone who served. It really doesn't seem like Army Guy was prepared for that. Oh no, he wasn't. I mean, do We've you feel it. do you feel like someone who's had presumably at least some amount of basic training should be able to not take a shove like that in quite such a ragdoll way? Oh no, he was totally off balance and the guy totally had a stance going so that he could push him good. Um redneck guy is a brawler he's he's been in fights before army guy has it he's a 19 year old who's out of boot camp and is just drunk too much and can't fight so that's fair so that's that's an interesting distinction you make between people who are in the military but are not necessarily good fighters well there's there's it goes deeper than that a thing i discovered in the military and this might not be true for every individual person but generally what happens is with your with your services the services that are taught to kill, they're not brawlers. Your army people and your marine people, they're not going out in town and getting drunk and brawling. They're killers. Well, presumably, presumably you do your work with the working end of uh, M16, right? Right. But people like, uh, people like in the Navy, where all we do is just drive around the world getting drunk in strip clubs, like we're fighters. So oh. we kind of learn how to fight. And there's a lot of... Because, you know, we don't really get trained how to shoot guns in, in boot camp. We don't spend any time learning how to become killers because that's not what we do. Our jobs are things like driving the ship and, you know, uh, painting the ship and <laughs> taking care of engines and stuff like that. That's interesting. Well, just out of curiosity, what was your job when you were in the Navy? Did you have a I specialty? Was a mate. No, no. I was a boat. Well, it's a specialty, but I was a boat to me. We drive. Nice. <laughs> nice. We just drive the ships. Very we good. take care of the ships too. We paint them. You know, when you think uh, when you think sailor uh, as depicted uh, in movies, that's what I was. I'm going to give Army guy some credit though. He may have been caught unawares, but he rallies, and Cut so his backs, like his, like it's his, a special effect. His next move is to put a white shirt guy in a headlock and slam him on the table. Yeah, all of this, by the way, is happening. It's happening, kind of in the background and in the course of about 10 seconds. Like what I've just described to you so far is what happens before we cut away to Dalton in the laundromat. Yeah. So, so let me, so let me ask you this. If you were scoring this fight at home, 
at this point in the fight, who are you giving the decision to? You mean before we come back? Before we come back. There's more. Army guy definitely hit his head on the slate uh, uh, pool surface. And it got slammed pretty hard. He got he went back there pretty hard. He was slammed by white shirt guy. By white shirt guy. Okay. The way, but... there, there's no way he had time to protect his head from slamming onto the slate top of the pool. Of the okay. Pool table. But what about his so comeback? He's got right. a pretty good. He comes back really good, but he's wrestling. He's not really injured. Okay. So it sounds to me at this point like you're scoring the fight for white shirt guy. White shirt guy does some very deliberate things. He knows how to use his momentum to put this guy immediately down. Army guy is just brawling. He's just jumping on it. Yeah, he's just grappling. And the way that he gets himself off balance and doesn't give himself a way to keep the guy down, the way he just jumps on top of him, just kind of tackles him, tells me that this guy just doesn't know how to fight. Not that I know how to fight. I'm just saying, you know, in the few experiences I have had where I'm the wild, out-of-control guy that's just tackling, I get my ass kicked. <laughs> so okay so well let's go then to the second half of this fight and okay. this is gonna this is gonna be one of the times where i'm afraid i'm gonna i'm gonna criticize the movie just a little bit just in this very small amount because generally i think the movie does an excellent job of choreographing its fight scenes and staging the fight scenes in such a way that the fights are really believable this is probably the poorest staging of a punch in the entire movie so when we come back from the laundromat and white shirt guy has to punch army guy in the face his fist misses army guy's face by a good three to four inches noticeably from 30 feet away in a smoky atmosphere you can still see that missing (laughs) and i mean the, the way that they chose to shot to shoot this fight, there was no way to avoid that. Like the whole, the whole trick of fight scenes is if you position the camera angle, you can't actually yeah. see the fact that there's no contact. Yeah. But so let's, but let's give white. So white shirt guy comes back with a seemingly pretty good right cross. If it's a real fight, that's a real good hit. It's that is unfortunately a... in the face, which is not how you should do things if you're fighting, but yeah. Oh no. No, hitting people in the face, that doesn't do anything to them. You hit some people. I mean, you can knock them out. You can, like, if you're an actual bruiser who can throw a punch, you can bruise their brain and really hurt them. But mostly if you're just someone who doesn't fight (laughs) and you hit, you're like, like the movies, you're always going for the face. Faces move around. They're the, they're the easiest things to take a blow. You get them in the body is where you want to get them if you're a real brawler. So after this punch, we've got, we've got army guy kind of grabbing him and attempting to put him on a table or well, like yeah. put him on the pool table. But then, then white shirt guy kind of definitely takes to him and finally seems like he's just like slamming his head down on the table. Yeah. He slams his head down on the table again. If this were a real fight, not choreographed, that would be the second, that would be the second time that army guy's head has hit the slate. So, all right. So, if we go through to the end of this fight, how are we scoring this? Uh, would we say fair to say that White Shirt Guy is is winning on all cards? Well, we end up with Army Guy on top. Does it does it come back again? No way. Okay, I'm going to the rest of the fight. We get him down we, on the table, and he's choking him. Yeah, White guy, White Shirt Guy is winning this one. If uh, Elliot Sam Elliot doesn't intervene, I think. 
So let me ask you a question because about that. This by so, the time Sam Elliott's walking over there, that guy has got him in a chokehold. He's like going to take him out. Considering how quickly Wade reacts to that guy who's charging the stage, or how quickly Dalton seems to react to whenever a fight breaks out in a club that he's responsible for, Wade allows this fight to go on for an impressively long amount of time. Don't you think? Not threatening the hired help. Oh. You think did you think that's the distinction? I think it is, yeah. Huh. See, I always thought it was sort of like I mean, when Dalton and, and kind of and also also the fact that neither of them are, that no one's threatening a girl too. That's fair. Although when Dalton breaks up that fight in the double deuce that first night, the one with the guy with the switchblade, um he is well, he is he's menacing one of the other bouncers. So maybe that's Maybe that's when you that's know that it's time help, to step yeah. in. That's fair. No, it's a good point. All right. That, that's... that and I also chalk that up to Wade's confidence that he is just going to take care of this. It's like, oh, hold on. Yeah. Something's going on here. It, it, it's very amusing. It's... For another 10 seconds or so, then I got to go. It's like, <laughs> sorry, I, I got to go. Just as though it's like, it's no thing. Yeah. I, I think that is kind of no thing. I think it's just work. He's like, oh, got to get back to work. Gotta get back. Yeah, yeah. So we don't actually we don't actually know how this fight ends. My guess is that somehow Wade just hauls the both of these guys out of the out of the strip club and then then that's over. Yeah, that's what I think too. It's interesting that he's completely alone on what G Street. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, this, he has no backup. But on the other hand, based on what we've seen. You could fit this. You could fit. It appears that you could fit this strip club inside Tillman's office. This is not the largest place in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you could fit. You could fit two of them at least inside the double deuce. Yeah, <laughs> pretty easily. So maybe that's a good opportunity for us to make a transition to the second half of this minute. I apologize to you in advance. I apologize to all our listeners. This is truly the most terrifying part of the movie um, <laughs> because this is the part of the movie where we get to hear Kathleen Wilhoit sing. Man. All right. You well, go, the, go, the, go the ahead. You the thing you don't know about me is that I love girl bands a lot. And I'm not I love girl like, bands too. I mean like girl rock bands. I, that's what I'm talking about too. I like the Bengals. <laughs> I like the Go-Go's. Um, L7, you know, that's not my issue here, but tell, tell us more about the torch that you're carrying for Kathleen Wilhoy. I just have always had a crush on this actress. Really? She's just my type. Oh, from, she's like, so cute. like from where I'm trying to, I'm trying to think when from where, you know, cause we've, we've here IMDB and it's just like, it's just like, she's always been, <laughs> we, we have talked about her in pre. We've talked about her in previous minutes. Uh, when I had Jonathan, when I had Jonathan Howell on here um, from uh, the Minute Impossible, um, among other things, he was saying how Kathleen Wilhoit seems to have been cursed by being typecast into this role of playing the annoying ex. Like in this movie, he plays the annoying waitress. Yeah. You before this movie, what I had always associated Kathleen Wilhoit with was her character on ER, where she plays Chloe, the annoying, messed-up sister. <laughs> Did you watch ER? Is that where you know her from? That might be where I know her from, yeah. <laughs> she's, 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 she's Susan Lewis 
she's Susan Lewis's junkie sister who always arrives in town just long enough to mess up her life. Um, yeah, I, I think that might that might be it. There's nothing else that really stands out to me. Twenty four, of course, but she was only in one episode. She was she was she was big in ER. The other thing, so the other thing that Jonathan mentioned to us that you might this is I would accept more if this is where you. Um, Fell in love with her. It was in her recurring role in the Gilmore Girls. No, I never watched the Gilmore Girls. Okay, where, appara- Just, where apparently she, she also she, up, she also plays an annoying character on that show. She's an actress that always does one one off shots and just shows here and there. And I've just always I don't know. She's my type. I've just always kind of liked her in spite of the character she's playing. Is she your type of singer? Because I got to tell you, this this <laughs> music is cringeworthy. So let me tell you the song, and then maybe you can give us a review. She is singing a cover uh, of a song called Knock on Wood, Yeah, um, which was originally written by Eddie Floyd and Steve Cropper. Is that part of a band? I have no idea which band is originally known for recording Knock on Wood. Um, this version obviously is performed by the Jeff Healy Band and Kathleen Wilhoyt. This is another Jeff Healy cover band special well let me ask you something because she is technically fine as a singer in my opinion she she isn't off or weird sounding she's got a nice little growl happening she's got some she's got some oomph to her voice she isn't just all head voice she's obviously trained what don't you like about it i mean it's generic what don't i like about it it is for sure Every any singer could do this. It is for sure a karaoke performance. Okay, well, oh, let's start. Who, I mean, let's start there. It seems like someone who is singing at best high grade karaoke. I don't feel like it's particularly melodic, although I don't know that I, I I've heard the original version of the is- song. Um, I think she's way too enthusiastic. Um, <laughs> yeah. she she is. as in most of her scenes, she seems to be overacting by approximately 10%. Um, You are right. I agree. Maybe it's a personal bias. I don't know what this says about me. I do not generally like cross-gendered covers. So if a a man covers a song that's um, associated with originally a female group or vice versa, um, I I never really find those that good. But that's not what's going on here because I'd never heard this song before I heard in this movie and it for me it's always been like nails on a chalkboard what yeah i agree with everything you say she is over enthusiastic um she is and and that's kind of her acting style and her voice is high grade karaoke and i i agree with everything you say i think she's just kind of cute in a nerdy way it's like if my nerdy girlfriend uh, got up and did some karaoke only instead of a DJ, it was with a band and I find it adorable. <laughs> her Wikipedia page does describe to some extent her musical career. I mean, Kathleen Wilhoit's musical career. She's yeah. released. She has two albums that have been released. None since 2000. So her pure, it appears her star Burned brightly, but just for a short amount of time. Um, but it was uh, probably this. Oh my God! No, no, because her first album came out. Days. Her first album came out in '97, almost a decade after this movie. Oh, okay, okay. 
She was a late bloomer in the music scene and an early wilter, which I understand. Um, <laughs> according to the director's commentary, and I 100% believe this, they did not know that she could sing until she came to set. And then they found out that she could sing and they decided to write this scene into the movie with tragic results. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just have, I'm having fun a little it, bit. I, I've always found it weird that they just switch to her for a second and then go back. Well, no, I mean, they're going to, she's going to sing this movie for an extended period of time, or she's going to sing this song for an extended period of time. No, no. I mean, every time, every time we see a band, it's Jeff Healy. And then we just, we get her once. Right. Yeah. So if you watch the rest of, if you watch the rest of this movie, it's not like, it's not like one scene you see Jack doing karaoke and another scene you get, bartender let it or unleaded doing karaoke it's just <laughs> it's just carrie ann she's the only one who gets to sing well okay so this is where my thing might come in then. because there's a lot that goes on off camera a lot huh. they have remodeled this entire club so let's talk about that so this this is really the first time that we get to see the new double deuce as you may have heard me say in my outros like this is this is the first time we really get to see Tillman's vision. This is weeks and weeks, if not months, of remodeling. They've torn up the entire floor and put a new floor in. I don't think they have. They... They've redone all the walls. They've they did away with. I, okay, what, what's so, your thoughts on? It? Okay, because so I'm seeing I'm seeing extensive remodeling. Yes, there's no doubt about that. And Tillman showed us the blueprints. We knew that he was basically going to redo this whole thing from, from stem to stern. And we also right. know that in the previous fight scene, the last time we were in the double deuce, which is where uh, Pat the bartender um, tries to get his job back, um, okay. the bar the bar is still a mess. There's still primer. Right. There's still primer on the walls. Um, there's still you know yeah, du- still dust on the yeah. floor. It's a bad scene. I'm going to say I think they I think they probably could have gotten from that point to this point in two weeks. Wow. That am I, am get... I crazy? Okay. Let me put it this if, way. Like I said. Bar... Go, go on. No, you go ahead. If the bar owner is throwing around gobs and gobs of money and hires a contractor that really knows what he's doing and they're really working in tandem with the people that are wiring and they're really working in tandem with the flooring people. You know, all of the contractors are getting along fine and everything is going exactly on schedule. This could be a two-week job. Maybe maybe think, I'll, maybe I'll give it a... If things were going really, really well, like a typical job... <laughs> oh, God, I hate to do this, because I was also a contractor for a while. If things are going really, really well, this could be a month. It would be a month, I would say. All I know because is... Because you got... Because you've got to glue floor down, you've got to like redo all the walls and paint all the walls uh, and rewire stuff because you don't want just you don't want to just plug stuff into a strip in the back there. You need specialty stuff for stage work and lights. yeah, you got to get anyway. you got to get that that neon sign and those canister lights that are in the ceiling. Now, let me put it this yeah. way: as I said, I work in a boarding school, and I swear to God, every August around August fifteenth, I walk around campus and I walk through some of these buildings, and I say to myself. There is no way this building is going to be habitable in two weeks when the students arrive on campus, and it's <laughs> yeah. always habitable. 
it's amazing okay. how much work you can done get done if you like you said if you put your mind to it. I do based on the fact that Dalton is willing to hire the best damn cooler in the business. I also think he's probably has the money at his disposal to hire the best damn general contractor in the business. I think for okay. for, for Tillman, money is no object. Okay. Then there's something else I want to bring up. Okay. Which isn't part of this scene, but it speaks to, I, I think you'll agree that what we're seeing right now in front of us, the clientele, means that there is a line outside, as we see later. Mm-hmm. And so to go from being a dive biker bar where there's blood on the, where there's teeth on the floor every night when you're cleaning up to a 80s disco also takes some marketing time, a lot of it, especially in a town with 920 people two hours away from the nearest city. Yeah, well, that that is another one of sort of the, as, as Bill Simmons would say on the rewatchables, that is an unanswerable question about this movie. Where are these people coming from? And right, right. How right, are they right. filling up the double deuce with them every night? None of these people that are customers here live in Jasper. Let's just even say only on the weekends. Let's say this place is hopping on the weekends and it's just 15 regulars every other night. I don't care how hopping it is on the weekend. These people don't live in Jasper. <laughs> right. I I'm I mean, and, and they've got a long way to go, even if they're coming from Kansas City, which is like two hours away. Yeah, Jasper is 50-year-olds and older people running their business, and the only kids in town are high school kids. They're not, uh, they're not 20-year-olds going to the disco. 100%. What else do I have about this minute? Let's see. We talked about how the double deuce is in really good shape now. Um, oh, well, we have to talk oh, well, about I that. Mean, we, have, we have to talk about the end of this minute because, and unfortunately, so... I tell you what, I don't want to cheat the next minute, so I don't want to talk about the end of this delightful so little exchange between <laughs> Denise and Dalton. But we can. It's t- cool if you want to roll that over to whoever your next guest is. We can. We can talk. That is, that is the thing that makes this conversation mean anything. Okay, so what do we notice in this minute? So Denise comes up, she pats Dalton on the shoulder. He doesn't even really want to look at her. Right. Like she's well, rubbing, she's rubbing him on the shoulder, and he is intentionally looking away. Dalton is freaked out. So, do you think that's what it is? Do you think he's just nervous around her? No, I don't think he's nervous. I think he's scared. Well, what's I the difference? Dalton, well, nervous is. Well, I, I, I didn't think I was going to have to figure out. Nervous is like, like this makes me uncomfortable. Scared is just freaked out. Like I'm, you know. So what is he scared of? He's scared of Brad. He hasn't. He, he, hasn't he doesn't. He doesn't. Yet. He doesn't know at this point that there's a connection between Denise and Brad. Doesn't he? No, because, because we haven't. Fa- we haven't found that out minimum, yet. If we've had a minimum of two weeks of off-camera time between. Uh, oh, so you, so you think he knows that they're connected? Yeah, I think he's done his research and he's really and he really knows what's going on in this town by this. So you think that's why he's attempting to avoid her? I just thought, you know, he's just sort of like, "Hey, I don't." Well, even I don't the way get, she I don't talks get... to him, I'm sorry, go on. Well, I was just going to say, I, I mean, I think we've seen in previous minutes that Dalton feels very strongly that one should not even attempt to connect personally with your customers because that's what leads to Steve getting uh, his own heave ho from the double twos. Mm-hmm. But this is bigger. This is he. He's encountering for the first time 
like an organized crime-ish element that's stopping him from doing his job, not just a bunch of not just a bunch of violent rednecks. Okay, so here's a so let me let and, me go let so me go with your hypothesis because I think it okay. makes sense because you know and again we're gonna find out in a little while that Dalton did something really unfortunately violent in his recent past and. We're also going to find out that there was a woman involved at the center of it. So it certainly seems like it would make sense that if he knows that Denise is involved with this very violent person, he is a little and, worried. And, it has, and he has been there several weeks at least because of the remod. And he, so maybe he's worried that if somehow he allows himself to get involved with Denise then he's got the potential of putting himself right back where he was in Memphis. Do you think that? Do you think? Do you think he's worried about Brad Wesley, or he's worried about putting himself in the position of having to do something awful again? There's a couple of things, and I'm going to have to spoil some some future minutes to to talk about this. That's okay. Um, he is in over his head with the sort of organized crime bully guy, and I think he's still processing that a little bit. Okay. And he knows that she's involved with him because there's been plenty of off-screen time in a town of 920 to find out because of all the time it took to do the remod. Like, he, okay. he knows the lay of the land. Okay. It, I, I, in my opinion, he, okay. he would certainly have enough time. He seems to be professional enough to know all that stuff. Okay, I'm with you so um, far. So when she comes up to him, this is the boss's girlfriend now just effing with him. And he's just like, oh, I, you know. He, like he doesn't even know what to do about this. He's just he can't be rude to her because he doesn't know how far this Brad guy is going to go. He's still trying to get his footing underneath of him when it comes to that guy. He still has, and and we know from the movie, from the narrative, that he hasn't figured out how to deal with this guy yet. He right, because we we saw that in the previous minute. Okay, so that's fair. So enough. he's he's got one of to his mind, he's got one of the bad guys just kind of effing with him. So you think that. That Denise's advances on Dalton are, or Dalton he probably fit, really does want so, him. He's he's beautiful. So but also, I think he might see her as a bad guy and a ploy. So okay, so that's interesting because I'd never really thought about it that way. You feel like Dalton sees what Denise is doing as either a a very thinly veiled attempt to kind of get him in trouble with Brad Wesley and his crew, almost like. Like a, or to get him like someplace a, alone and vulnerable. Okay. Um, all of these sound like reasonable possibilities, which suggests that you feel like her advances are not sincere. They might still be sincere because, oh, my God, it's Patrick Swayze. I mean, so we're, <laughs> that's fair. No, that's fair. I'm sure if Marcy were here, she would say that, too. Um, we're going to find out next week that she is not here as part of any master plan. Okay. Um, as but he, I, I, I'm speaking to what's in his head, not what we know. No, I understand. That's, that's totally fair. And, well, and then the second part of what I'm saying, I, I, and, and you're going to be able to continue your thought after I get this done. The Memphis thing, I just want to address that quick. If he's really that, if he's really that PTSD about what happened in Memphis, why would he continue why would ripping out people's throat continue to be his go-to move at least two more times once? And then he almost does it again and holds himself back. Like he doesn't seem to be, he doesn't seem to have learned a lesson is what I'm saying. 
Well, I don't think the lesson you learn from Memphis is that you shouldn't fight in that sort of way, because it does seem like an extraordinarily effective way to end a fight. I think the lesson you learn from Memphis is don't put yourself in a compromising position. And so maybe what he... I, I like your oh, okay. idea. So you're I think, not, I think, you're not I think, saying that he's horrified by the darkness that he's capable of, because let's face it, ripping out somebody's throat with your hand. <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty dark. It's fair. Coming to terms with the fact that you're a person that can rip somebody's throat out just physically with your hand would be a pretty tough, pretty tough thing to deal with. Lesser I, men would become alcoholic. I don't think Dalton is troubled by the fact that he's killed people. I think what Dalton is troubled by um is the fact that it was personal. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And so the reason why he's choosing to live sort of this, uh, well, it's not like he's given up women because he's already tried to at, very clumsily ask Doc out on a date. I think sure. what he what he's what is he's still being traumatized by is making sure that the relationships in his life in his in his life come with no baggage. So I think you've made a good point here. If we assume that he knows that she's connected to Brad Wesley, then in his mind, she is radioactive. Right. Well, good. So without going into extensive detail, what we'd like to do on Friday, I mean, you've been a fantastic guest, Curtis. And so I would love to have you back for a future set of minutes if, if you're available and the timing works out. But let's just, just as in general terms, without digging into any of the details, if you if you could have been on for you know any other section of the movie what would be the sections of the movie roadhouse that you most wish you had a chance to kind of come on and talk about it's not favorite it's because there's some character development that happens when he when he tears the guy's throat out and doc leaves him because he's a monster <laughs> For tearing someone's throat out with his hands, those minutes to actually talk. Hey, you know, those are those are those are good minutes. The fight scene between <laughs> yeah. the fight scene between him and Jimmy, yeah, um, which I think is I think is it's shorter than you think it is. I think I think we can fit it into a whole week. <laughs> okay, um, okay. I, I mean, yeah, it, that's a really of, that is a really good fight scene. Well, it isn't that it's a good fight scene; it's that. It's that he and it's it's he and Doc's breakup scene. It's there they have to go okay, so, through this so what are you, in order to are become you, a, a stronger couple at the other end thing. Are you talking? And he has to learn, and, and that's the one where he learns. Unlike Memphis, that's the scene where he actually learns that it's wrong to tear people's throats out and kill them. And by the way, he doesn't end up arrested. But anyway, are you sense. are you talking about the scene where he comes and tries to snatch her up out of the hospital, and she says, "No, I'm not going anywhere with you." Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, it follows that. It's the one that... where he rips the guy's throat out and floats him across the lake. No, I know that. The scene in the in the the scene in the x-ray room happens after that, obviously. Right, right. Right. It it would be like he would do that and then they would have their sort of because they don't have already they don't have another they, they don't have another scene in between those two parts. Like you can see that she's horrified about what she's just witnessed, but they don't even get right. a chance to talk to each other at that point. Right. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That set of that, those sets of minutes is where I would, if I was choosing, that's where I would go. 
All right. Very good. Well, those are talk about their relationship and, you know, how they would, how mature people would actually handle, you know, you've been dating someone for a couple of weeks and you watch him rip somebody's throat out and throw them across the lake and how that's perfectly reasonable, I think, for her to react. Yeah. Like maybe, uh, maybe I didn't know you as well as I thought I did. I'm just saying it's a red flag. (laughs) It, it, it arouses concerns. And talking about relationships is kind of what I like to That's always fun. Character well, that, development. That's fun. fair. There's a lot of character development and relationship work that we that that one could talk about in this minute or in this movie, I should say. Well, very good. Well, uh, like I, I said, that's kind of one of the things that your tagline is the, the best worst movie or the worst best movie. The best bad movie of all time, man. The best bad movie of all time. But it's got all the elements of a good movie. It's 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 crazy how this movie works. It's a, tell you what, I'm going to say it has all the elements of an enjoyable movie, but even the people who were making this movie, even Joel, <laughs> even Joel Silver, even Joel Silver, when he set out to make this movie, was attempting to make something pulpy. And he told That's everybody fair. that when he was casting them, he was like, look, we're not making Citizen Kane here, but this movie is going to be a lot of fun and people are going to enjoy it. And, yeah. um, you know, the crew he assembled and the cast that he assembled was designed to do that. This is this is not a movie where I'm pretending <laughs> that it is high cinema. Like the guys who do that, I don't know if you've ever listened to um oh who is it? Um Jay Cluett and uh Mark uh oh sorry Mark I forgot your name. The guys who did the Deep Blue Sea podcast. Um, oh no it's on my list though list they it's a it's a great podcast and but they are they are going to the barricades that Deep Blue Sea is a really high quality movie. And wow. I'm not gonna tell him until after he comes no, on in a, no, in a, in a couple months. I'm not gonna <laughs> tell him until after his guest segment that of course we all know that Deep Blue Sea is the underwater roadhouse. But just in, just in terms of I think it's a it's I think it knows what it is. And it yeah. doesn't it doesn't pretend that it's more than that. Um, which I think I think you have to give Roadhouse a lot of credit for. It knew what it was and it went out and did it. Well, before we before we say goodbye, um, can you tell us again? Tell us again, Curtis, all the places that we can that we can see you and listen to you before we say farewell. Oh, just I don't know. Check me out at uh, check me out at uh, Better Off Dead Minute and just follow the links from there. What's what the- I really want to say is that. What's the other podcast that you host, Curtis? <laughs> um, um, Time Bandits Minute. Well done. Uh, time, Golf clap yeah. for you. It only took three minutes, but you got it right that time. Oh, man. Okay. I, well, I just want to say it's been really enjoyable. I, I've really enjoyed my time here with you talking about this movie, you know, because I don't know you. We, we, people may not, may not know this out there in the podcast world, but we didn't know each other before this. I don't think we've. Are we even like friends on Facebook? We must be. I, uh, we well, are. Whatever we it are. For what it's but, worth. But, but we've never talked and we've never had any kind of exchange. We're just cold meeting each other as we start talking about this movie. And it's been amazing. You are a really good host and you make the show really easy to, to be on. I Well, I appreciate that. And the feeling is mutual. I've enjoyed, uh, I've really enjoyed our uh, week together. 
Well, thank you once again for listening to another episode of Roadhouse Minute. Please, if you can, rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app. Uh, Come and join us on Facebook at The New Double Deuce. We're also on Twitter and Instagram and at RH Minute. And you can email us at daltonsaysbenice at gmail.com. So remember, until next time, be nice. Bye now.